Oh God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Are we on hot mics at the moment? Yeah, say something real egregious. I don't know what egregious means, so I assume it's racist. Sure. Boy, those egregians. <laughs> Let me tell you about them. <laughs> you know what they're like. <laughs> ancient egregians. <laughs> oh, ancient egregians. Talking about the modern the Modern egregians. Yeah. <laughs> this shouldn't be that puzzling. We should, from the top, at this explain point, it's clear. what this is. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we are doing it now. We're the so. Nicolas Cage buying, selling, wrecking podcast. Yeah. The all-seeing, all-dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Nicolas Cage review. That's yeah. it. Jazz hands. All male, all nude. Yeah, Nicolas definitely Cage nude. Nicolas Cage review. Yes. Speaking nope, of nudity, good. welcome back to Cage Match, colon, a roundabout way of meeting Nicolas Cage, a podcast where we discuss the films, and only the films, of one Nicolas Cage. This week we have... I'm Nick. Oh, yes. Names. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? This is your friend, Sean, and co-host of Cage Match. Oh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Also, Peter, how are you today? Hi, I'm here, too. <laughs> you know, the more comfortable I get at uh, doing this, the worse I get at it. Yeah. Okay, so to quickly recap, this is 64 Nicolas Cage movies, only Nicolas Cage, going head-to-head, week-to-week. Got. Uh, bracket style, and at the end, there will be one ultimate victor Nicolas Cage movie. As chosen by three idiots in the Pacific Northwest. Which is definitive. Yeah. 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 That's how most things are decided. This week we have It Could Happen to You versus Racing with the Moon. And maybe for the first time in the history of this entire podcast, we get to talk about two good movies. Yeah. We'll see about that. (laughs) Ooh. Suspense. Yeah. I like it. Um, I didn't give up the goat this time. It's (laughs) It's not my turn to fuck it up. Uh, it's usually my job. I'm trying so hard not to. And I, I did when I started starting this thing. So this is an eight and a nine um, going up against each other. So they're they're kind of middling movies, which maybe that's how you felt about them. I don't know. I mean, up until this point, we've usually had last week, notwithstanding, we've usually had a banger to a dud, a banger to a dud. So, yeah, we're talking about. Racing with the Moon, 1984, Nicolas Cage movie. So, Young Cage. And 1994's It Could Happen to You. Still youngish. Still looking good. Which one do we want to jump into first? Oh, let's just do Racing with the Moon. All right. Brief synopsis. Two best buddies, lifelong chums. Henry Hopper Nash, played by Sean Penn, and Nikki, played by Nick Cage, are two childhood friends who are getting ready to ship off to World War II. And they have three weeks to live their lives as best as possible. Hilarity ensues? Yeah, they're, you know, high schoolers. They're like 17 years old. They're going to get into some hijinks in their last six weeks. I mean, Nick Cage is definitely the comic relief of this piece. Certainly. This yeah, is, he plays a second man. Yeah, this a supporting is role in this one. Definitely more of a Sean Penn picture. But uh, could be why it's so good. <laughs> I'm not taking a dig at Nick Cage. Don't worry, people. I still love him. We, I mean, we do love Nick Cage, but I do have to say, because uh, this is just before Birdie, so he has all his teeth. <laughs> yeah, I checked. <laughs> I looked. We counted. But this is definitely not his best work as an actor. Oh, yeah. He gives kind of a tough performance. It's, I mean, it's not bad. It's not good. No, it's, it's very just there. 
I don't know. I think he, I still think he did a good job with what it is. I agree. He plays kind of just a boozing bowling pin setting. He works at a bowling alley. Also, the first time I've ever seen that machine that they used the pin setter that in the 40s so wacky yeah. it's a wild little contraption so nikki and henry their day jobs are they work at a bowling alley and they are pin setters yeah they have to like go at the back of the alley grab pins throw them this device and like push it down and weigh it down and then even like adjust the pins right. while dodging bowling balls from Crispin Glover. From Crispin Glover. I was just, uh, I want to say right now, this week I was amazed at all of the supporting cast. There was some really good people. With this movie, we had uh, Crispin Glover and Carol Kane's in it. Michael Madsen is in there as the uh, the GI with his leg blown off. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. So, and just like in real life, the time I met Crispin Glover, I didn't realize it was Crispin Glover till later. Yeah, it was during the credits when I noticed. Yeah, same. I love Chris. For me, that face is uh, the kid from Stranger Things. Finn Wolfhart. Oh. I don't say this lightly. That kid should be bullied more. (laughs) I'm going to have to cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just cut out the name. Just bleep out. Just quack out the name. We're not going to be the podcast of child bullying. (laughs) Yeah, we're already the podcast of woman punching. (laughs) Get it together, man. Uh, Fair. I mean, if he bleeps out the name, we still could be. We're not ready to diversify yet, though. <laughs> we got to we gotta get a handle on one thing. That we punch? Yeah. <laughs> Only if they set you on fire. Yeah, but uh, Crispin Glover <laughs> is just launching bowling balls at him in this scene at Sean Penn. Yeah. I mean, it was one of my more <laughs> enjoyed scenes, I mean, like straight out of the beginning it's... of this movie. The most comedic aspect of the film. Sure. They're doing that work. They're busy. It's like fast paced. And they're just trying to catch up because Henry's just getting on work. And Nikki. So this is our connection to Birdie is all about boobs. Oh, yeah. He loves a good boob. He loves a good boob. In fact, is trying to get uh, Henry to go on a double date with him because Nikki's girlfriend's parents don't like him. I wonder why. Hmm. Henry's not really dating, so they hire a local uh, sex worker, played by Carol Kane. Uh, yep. Yep. To uh, Annie the prostitute. Annie the prostitute. Sex, sex worker. We've established that we only use that term. Thank you. I think she was credited as Annie the prostitute. Well. Annie the sex worker. 1984 has a lot to learn. Get woke 1984. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So he hires... So, well, I mean, they, I don't think money was exchanged. They seem to be on pretty good terms. Yeah. She, uh, she offers... She offers them, you know, a freebie. Offers uh, Sean Penn a freebie. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a scene. Yeah. What else a... we got? <laughs> so the whole but so the whole larger premise of the film is Sean Penn meets a woman who works at the movie theater and the library. Played by Elizabeth McGovern. Caddy Winger. And decides to woo them in the age-old tradition of stalking. Remember when, when stalking was considered romantic? Well... He, mm. She gets on a bus. Yeah, okay. And he yeah. jumps on the back of the bus and then jumps off and like sneaks around in the bushes to see her go into the big rich people house. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I don't think he like was trying to woo her by stalking her, but... I'm just saying it was a trait in movies of this era. Yeah. But wrongfully assumes that 
she comes from money, that she is rich, when in fact her mother is the maid of this house and she just lives in it and is friends with the rich girl who does live there. The main crux of the film is Henry and Katie trying to figure this whole thing out before he goes to war. Right. So they have a few weeks to form a relationship. All the while, Nikki's in the background. No consequences. I'm going to war. I'm going to, you know, fuck who I want. I'm going to kill a bunch of expletives for the Japanese and everything's going to be great. Um, And of course, he winds up knocking up his girlfriend and suddenly they need an abortion before he leaves town to die. A clean abortion. Clean abortion. I don't know. The trailer she walks into didn't look that clean. I I talked about this, but then I was reminded that abortions in the 40s were probably not pretty off the books anyways. So and it, of course, comes down to that's an expensive procedure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They try and raise the money by. Well, they try to shark some people at pool because some uh, Navy Navy men. Yeah. uh, Sean Penn's character, Henry, apparently a really good pool player. They take it out to this pool hall. And uh, after some convincing by Nikki, yeah, uh, Henry agrees to do this. They get out there, go to shark some dudes and end up finding out that they were getting played from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a really good scene. I enjoyed I it too. I really loved that uh, kind of jazz track that was playing while they went through the actual game. Once it was like officially on. Yeah. They don't have enough money to put 150 down on the game. So they get a couple of other Navy men to uh, <laughs> yeah, seamen. seamen. Yeah. I can't believe I missed that joke. A couple other seamen to bet on their buddies and they do so suddenly the money's on the table and the guy starts playing a lot better what were they playing like, they referred to it as straight pool so it's sort of like an end score and it was just in this case it was one ball one point there wasn't they weren't calling out balls in sequential order mm-hmm. it was you put a ball in a pocket you get a point you got to get 100 points to win the game that would go forever there's lots of games that take a long time. Huh? I guess you're supposed to be drinking while you do these things. Yeah, generally. You don't want a five minute game. That's boring. It was so, the 40s. You didn't have cell phones. You didn't have any other distractions. What, what did people do? Well, they knocked people up and got clean abortions. <laughs> and, and played pool with semen. <laughs> Scenes like that wouldn't exist in movies nowadays. Like they wouldn't have spent that much time on that setup. And I, I agree with you, Nick, where it's like the music and everything about the way it was cut, the tension that came from it, even though it still felt kind of like a romp, yeah. was really interesting. I mean, you just wouldn't see something that takes eight minutes in For a in kind a, of a throwaway scene. Yeah. Right? Like it really doesn't have any effect on the movie, but it's a good one. By the time it gets to Nikki needs the money to pay for the abortion, he's the one who brings up in front of uh, Katie that she's rich, she could help, and Henry's, you know, like, fuck off, don't, you always fuck up everything, you fuck up my life, you, you know, you're the biggest fuck up. And there's, the movie doesn't spend that much time on Nick Cage and Sean Penn's relationship, but then thinking over it, writing up show notes, thinking about the pool scene, the fact that they almost got, you know, their heads stomped in by semen. Like, mm-hmm. oh, no, he does fuck up quite a bit. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have like a successful outing on anything except touching boobs. Yeah, he's pretty good at that. Yeah. 
Talk about the. Um... <laughs> I didn't have. I didn't have a segue out of that one. No, like I mean, I, I kind of do because you're talking about some of these antics that he get, gets into, and I think one of the other like amusing scenes is the two of them drunk. Oh yes, the tattoo scene. So, like I said, Nikki is all gung ho. America, we're going to kill the expletives for Japanese people. So they get drunk one night, and Nikki wants to get a giant bald eagle across his chest, and the proprietor of the tattoo shop just like i'm I'm not gonna do that i'm gonna do you a favor and not tattoo a giant eagle on your chest which i've worked in a tattoo shop that was a proper response to someone that drunk coming in demanding a tattoo which nikki doesn't take kindly to like this is a freedom bird this is america the way the guy gets out of it is just like how much you got they have what 250 between them a buck 38 or something buck 38 that'll get you a sparrow on the elbow get you a sparrow on the elbow I will say, though, Elizabeth McGovern, Katie, loved her character, super charming. The way she goes about wooing Henry Sean Penn, she tries to kind of initially blow him off by being she is set up by her with her friend's cousin, but her friend doesn't have a date to the roller rink. So Henry comes in. She's like, Henry, what are you doing on Christmas Eve? And tries to get him to commit to plans. And she's like, great, you're going to go out with my friend here. I loved uh, Henry's little dumb way of getting into this. She's like, uh, Christmas Eve, you you probably got plans with your family, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, family, yeah, yeah, no. No, I, I don't have plans, no. Oh, what's going on? Uh, my dad, he's, uh, and he looks over and he just sees a fishing magazine and he's like, he's fishing. He Kaiser Sose'd it. Yeah. It was fun. I mean, I'm going to do it poorly because I'm not Sean Penn, but. But who is Sean Penn? My buddy Paul looks a lot like Sean Penn. Yeah, so Paul's Sean Penn. Paul is Sean Penn. It, it was good. Uh, she just kind of brings him in with it. And then, you know, it's a, a bait and switch. I do also like how we see that Henry Henry's a bit of a rebel. Henry doesn't follow the rules because he's getting piano lessons at the beginning of the movie. And he plays pretty well and the piano teacher's like no play it like this no play it like this and he finally gets it and then he just does a little ragtime and the piano instructor just stands up grabs his coat throws on his hat and his Look. mom comes in and like stop it stop it and I'm like i'm so sorry and he just like storms out of the house he just can't stand that popular music yeah well he was a pastor was like, he yeah okay, was i missed like that the pastor or whatever and so that damned rock and roll that damned fucking music yeah sensibilities were different back then yeah you touch a boob, but don't listen to rock and roll. <laughs> they had a hard job. They were having bowling balls thrown at them by Crispin Glover. Yeah. He had a good arm. I'm just so intrigued by how bowling alleys used to work. Oh, like I know. They had to pick up the ball and send it down a ramp. Every time we go bowling, I keep telling you, monkeys could do that job. And I mean, if Nick Cage could do it, a monkey could do it. Maybe. Maybe. I would like to see like baboons in the back. Just big red butts and blue faces. <laughs> they could hang upside down while doing it. It's true. They wouldn't have balls thrown at their legs that way. I'm just saying, like, there's a money-making scheme here to be made where we sell a baboon instead of, like, these $50,000 machines. I guarantee if we try to sell a baboon, it will be problematic and not end well for either of us. Because <laughs> we'll be killed by a baboon? Yes. Not even the moral implications of baboon sales. Just the fact that... If we had a baboon, it would kill us. I'm not versed on monkey law, so I can't say. But I've watched a few nature documentaries, and I think 
I would get bit a lot. They they go for the testicles. They just rip those things right oh, off. Sons of bitches. I like my testicles exactly where they are. I hear the Germans have a thing that uh <laughs> Okay, let's let's get into favorite quotes because we're getting into my favorite quotes. Oh, okay. Well why don't you just give us your favorite quote? All right, yeah. Uh Nick was about to go there. Uh it's Nick Cage. Ah, Nick Cage talking about um talking to Henry. He's like, I hear the Nazis got this thing. Comes right at the ground, goes right for it. Blows the whole package right off. One second, you're John Wayne. And the next, you're Minnie Mouse. That was pretty good. I enjoyed a few other lines than you. <laughs> this isn't my favorite. I'm going to give you two because I like to do that. Uh, when they're at the tattoo shop and the tattoo artist was just like, bird of freedom don't come cheap. <laughs> and Nicky just kind of looks at him. And he's, he's fucking hammered. And he just goes, Bleh. it was the only like full Nicolas Cage experience that we got in this movie, but it was a pretty good one. Just just looking at it. My actual favorite quote, they were at their school and their school was doing like a wartime drills, like for training for the girls to go be nurses. And so nurses, girls were like coming around and all the boys had like fake blood on them and little notes that said like, oh, shot multiple times or dead. And the nurses would take care of them. Well, this nurse comes up to Henry and Nikki and she's like trying to deal with him and Nikki's just like trying to get fresh with this chick and she's like oh I'll come back when you're more ready for this and Nick Cage just goes no wait please nurse I want to show you my wound and that really got me my other one do we want to do this uh two-parter okay you want I'll be Sean Penn all right Sean Penn does the whole thing about how it's like you know I hate what you always drink I hate when you're drinking and Nick Cage does an awkward hip thrust dance before he started drinking. I could not do that. Why would you want to do that? It gives me pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just air humping. Yeah. But he does it wildly. Actually, both times Nick Cage does any kind of dancing in this is just terrific. Later when he's uh, in the bowling alley and he's mopping, just like singing a song. And then he just busts out this just wild gyration of like a full body seizure. It's just so good. And then the bowling alley owner yells at him. It's like, yeah, it's like, what do I pay you for? Nick Cage like, I'm your best employee. And the bowling alley owner's like, no, you're not. And his only response is, then I don't fucking know. <laughs> no, it's good. I really, I liked Nicolas Cage in this whole movie. I but did too. He's charming. I don't think there's a single scene where he's not drinking. No, he, he always almost has always has yeah. like a pint of whiskey on him. Yep. He's a fuck up. Like, yeah, he is. He's just drunk all the time. And we know within the film because he has a shiner when he's going to pick up his date early in the film. And he just offhand mentions that, you know, it was his old man. Hmm. Um, and his mom's out of the picture. She died. Yeah. And that's the other thing is after they have their blow up and Henry tells Nick Cage to fuck off. Henry's dad is a gravedigger groundskeeper at the cemetery and it turns out that after nikki's mom died they kind of took him in like the dad was a fuck up and an asshole so they fed nikki a lot in childhood and you know yeah. that nikki is at his heart a good kid and a lot of that has to do with his friendship with henry and their family's like influence on him which i thought was a nice little touch so I do character wise. Yeah, that's nice. I do want to briefly touch on the end, which we do need to quickly discuss when 
Nikki tells Henry about needing the abortion. It's after they do a thing they used to do as kids, which is race a train and then grab onto one of the boxcars and ride it for a while, then jump off on a hill. And apparently this is a very dangerous thing, especially when you're drunk. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, trains are big, heavy things. They flatten shit. Yeah. So especially people. That's a thing that, you know, that's a thing, you know, from their childhood that they remember fondly. So Caddy and Henry break up. They get together back at the end, right before he ships out. He gives her the kiss. He says bye to mom and dad. All while the train conductor's like, you know, all aboard. And the train starts leaving. And we have this really nice heartfelt ending. And his parents are just like, you're missing your train. You're missing your train. And they just look at each other and like, ready? Go. And they like have this fun little jaunt along the train and grab on at the end. Yeah. That really undercut the heartfelt ending. (laughs) (laughs) It showed reconciliation between the two of them after their fight. I just thought it was a weird, like, add-on. Well, it, it felt actually a little bit similar to the ending of Birdie, where it kind of ends on just like a little bit of a bit. <laughs> on the right? joke. Right? I forgot about that. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Totally like that. What? It, to me, it was like their characters, their stories had just come full circle, and they were yeah. back to it. And... I, I just wanted to touch on Elizabeth McGovern's performance. I thought that was really good. She was great. She gave a great, really clean performance. Yeah. I, and like, I had an issue with that. I loved her introduction. She's just dancing in a field by herself. And all I thought to myself was, that girl dances to her own beat. You can't hear it, but she does. Yeah. I mean, there were there were little things she was doing with her face and her eyes that I thought were just like really advanced acting. Yeah. It was a really nuanced performance. Yeah. And I mean, I don't really know a deep dive into the rest of her career. I know she's big on Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey and like yeah. a few other things. Not a whole lot that I've really seen. Yeah, it's just interesting. Some of these these sort of like young ingenue actresses, like what became of them? Because obviously, like Sean Penn, Nick Cage, everybody else who's in this movie, yeah. like it's it's a surprising cast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I know this movie financially didn't do well. It was. Maybe like a six and a half million budget with a six million box. Well, five of that went to Nick Cage, of course. Obviously. There's a few interesting just filmmaking things I uh, found. Uh, the shot with the train mm-hmm. when they're on the tracks and the train's coming at them. That's a mirror. And they're just reflecting a train on another set of tracks. Oh. So that way, you know, their leads weren't in any actual mortal danger. That's fair. So that that's was good. That's pretty cool. Like old style filmmaking. What did, what did you think overall of his performance, though? I know, like, a little overacty. I wasn't blown away by it, but he's such, uh, he's just such a supporting character, yeah. too. It was hard to really get anything out of him. He was there to just drive parts of the story. Yeah. And... I mean, the scene where Sean Penn, like, t- pretty much tells him off, you know, you could, you could see the hurt in him. Yeah. It's also hard to, like, really gauge it for me because... He is just playing you like half in the bag most of the time. Yeah. So maybe good acting. <laughs> maybe. I don't know if I really had a a big strong opinion on that. No, I didn't either. like it wasn't hasn't been his best performance that we've seen so far. Probably not. Not his worst. Yeah, I think what what struck me is that while it was overacty, there were those moments like the weird response to the tattoo that just were like, oh, there he is. Yeah, he pops out every once in a while. It's not flat. It's not a flat performance. It's not left behind. I think he did fine. I don't think it was a bad performance on his behalf. No, it was early in his career. I, it's no worse than his performance in Birdie, which was also fairly flat, just at different decibel levels. True. And I really liked Birdie. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, how about uh, a little bit of 1994 romantic comedy? This is where I really shine because these are these are the movies I love. This is your bread and butter. Yep. So this movie is a true story or based on a true story. And it's the story of Charlie Lang and his wife, Muriel Lang. He's a New York cop played by Nick Cage. She's a hairdresser. They live in Queens. Played by Rosie Perez. Played by Rosie Perez. Uh, They live in Queens, have a shitty one-bedroom apartment. She hates being in Queens. He loves being in Queens. He buys a lottery ticket at her behest, ends up going to a diner, has enough for the bill but not a tip, offers the waitress, played by uh, Bridget Bridget Fonda, Fonda, either half of the winnings or split the winnings of the lotto ticket or double the tip on the next day. She doesn't think he's going to show up. So she's like, whatever, cool. Overnight, Nicolas Cage and his wife, they win the lottery along with a shit ton of other people. So their 64 million goes down to four. He goes back, offers her her cut of it. She takes it. Rosie Perez, very upset about the situation, but Nicolas Cage kind of soothes her into it, being like, oh, you know, tell everybody. Everybody will think you're Muriel Lang, the hairdresser with a heart of gold. And so she goes along with it. They kind of get sucked into some uh, high society things as Muriel is really trying to push herself out of it. And it's like, this is 1994 and you only have $2 million. You're going to blow it all real fast in New York City. But they get through that. Nicolas Cage and Bridget Fonda, they use their money to like help people, like just enriching other people's lives. Rosie Perez really hates it, decides that she wants a divorce. They go through with said divorce, and Muriel decides she wants all the money. Lawsuit ensues. Finalization of the film. She gets all the money, and Nicolas Cage and... Bridget Fonda go off and start their own life. People from around New York send in monetary contributions to them. They get away with 600000 Plenty. And that's the movie. It's a very sweet film. I really... I think the most surprising thing for me in this film is seeing Nicolas Cage's romantic lead and, and having a romantic plot that I wasn't immediately like, well, this is off-putting. Because so far, every time we've seen him interact with a lady in these films it's been gropey or just ghostwriter <laughs> yeah it all comes across so sweet this movie is just sweet it's very sweet it's not necessarily something i look for and probably wouldn't have watched this if i wasn't doing a podcast about nicholas cage but it was an enjoyable watch i mean i i watched it all there again a lot of casting surprises touch of the tooch yeah, we got the Tooch playing Yvonne's, Bridget Fonda's husband, who she has been trying to divorce yeah, but st- didn't have money for. Strange husband, uh, Eddie. Okay, I gotta I gotta talk about that one for a second because seeing shirtless Tooch, balding, shirtless, ripped Stanley Tucci being like a negging asshole, I was like, God, that's kind of hot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when oh, he you stole are, you the type, when he stole her macadamia nuts as she was leaving. <laughs> 
Yeah. That was so good. And oh, yeah. He just sits there eating them, so proud of himself. Her, her one thing, as soon as she has $2 million, the one thing she treats herself to is a bottle of macadamia nuts. Yeah, which is nice. I mean, shows they're both, you know, more grounded yeah. people. But we had the Tooch. I personally loved seeing Wendell Pierce in there. Every time I see him, and especially in like a cop's uniform, I just want him to say, shit. Because <laughs> I love The Wire. Uh, but we've also got Isaac Hayes playing the narrator, Angel. That is such a weird part of this film. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that thread that ties it all together and you don't even notice it until the end. Well, like, so it starts off with Isaac Hayes narrating kind of what we're about to see about these two people. And he just says, you know, and he's just he's talking to the camera. It's breaking the third wall. And he just ends his little starting narration with my name's Angel. So I'm like okay, this is going to be some touched by an angel bullshit. That's what I expected as well. And he's like in the background. He didn't touch anybody, though. No, but he's in the background of almost every scene, Mm -hmm. every important scene. And the whole movie is being played out in the media, like the New York Post, always their front page story is always about the cop and the waitress. Right. And at the end of the film, when after the court proceedings, after they lose everything, he runs to a restaurant, finds her there, or Nick Cage runs to the restaurant finds her there and they decide that they're just going to be happy together. They don't need the money. Isaac Hayes, who's been very clean cut and very well dressed the whole film, shows up as a homeless man, like knocking at the window when they're closed, looking for food and they bring him in, they feed him. As they're kind of having their own private moment, he's got a wrist mounted camera. Yeah, that's some Dick Tracy shit. And it's just fucking weird. Snapping photos of them and he's been writing these newspaper headlines the entire film <laughs> yeah they just kind of give it up like oh he's a reporter for yeah. the post and well and he runs out of the restaurant he runs into a car and takes off the jerry curl wig he's wearing yeah <laughs> it just that was such a like he could have just been an angel he's angel dupree is his name and it wouldn't have changed the movie at all and it would have actually been better without that weird third act twist yeah, they kind of, uh, I don't know. They... It's what inspires New York to give them the money. Yeah. Which, okay, sweet, but just that was needlessly complicated and convoluted. It was a really weak plot device until the very end when they needed it to pay off. <laughs> and that's what it was. I did. It's hokey, but I loved it. Yeah. Can we talk about how great a cop he is? Like the first three minutes of this film are just talking about how... Charlie is just a good cop. He's a good cop. He's a good cop. Uh, and he's a good guy. What? And he's a good guy. One of the first things he like, we see a scene of a blind man crossing the street against a light in New York and cars are like screeching to a halt. And Charlie just runs into the street, hoists the blind guy over his shoulder and like runs him to the other sidewalk. Yeah. We see him delivering a baby on a city bus. You know, he ends every night by playing stickball with the boy, with the neighborhood. Uh, hey, Zoo. With Jesus on this uh, on the street while his, you know, Rosie Perez being the worst 90s wife ever. She was so perfectly annoying. So one of her first lines in this film is her complaining to a customer while she's doing her hair about how her husband has no drive. He should at least be a detective. But no, he's got to wear that stupid uh, uniform. And she utters the words, if he was if he was on the take, he'd at least have initiative. Yeah. 
And when they have their first argument in the film, she's saying how she hates living in Queen in a one bedroom in Queens. And he's like, it's fine. They're just bickering. And as he's leaving the bathroom after brushing his teeth, she just like yells out from uh, the shower. I'm a person who needs money. Yeah, like, you just can really the, tell what she's all about. The not... worst 90s wife ever. And no. when they do make it, when they do win the money, they go on a millionaire's cruise. He runs off the boat. Right, well, Bridget Fonda showed up. Yeah, and he she runs was off having the boat trouble with her cab to like help her out, and then the boat takes off without them, and they have a really nice date together. And when the boat finally comes back in, he's working out an excuse in his head for where he was the whole night, and she didn't even realize he was gone. Yeah, yeah, she was indifferent towards his presence. Well, she was baiting the hook for the next rich guy she was going to marry. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate the comeuppance she gets throughout the entire film. Because once they strike it big, they go on a shopping spree and they do the very 90s movie thing of the woman coming out in nicer clothes and the guy having more boxes. Oh, throughout, yeah. And when she comes out in her new uh, fur coat and says she's finally happy, um, <laughs> there's a protest for his murder protest going on and she immediately just gets paint thrown on her. I do like that every time she buys something, she's got that line of like, oh, now I can finally be happy. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I'm comfortable. Now I now I have everything. And it's always like followed by one more shopping scene going from like Barney's and Tiffany's and all those other. I don't know. So wait, what what's the end for her? Her story is concluded like after the uh, divorce, she gets with the rich guy from the cruise and the rich guy turns out to not be rich and just grifted her, took all of her money and ran away. Clears their, clears their bank accounts and ran away. Yeah. So then she gets a place in Brooklyn. She's living with her mom in Brooklyn yeah. and is a hairdresser. Mom. Not a hairdresser, a nail style. Oh, like a, a nail, nail style. She only does nails now. She's a piece of shit. Yeah. She's real annoying. She uh, is playing a very specific type of abrasive. Yes. Um, as the film goes on, though, we do see... So at one point, Charlie semi-retires from the force after he is shot in the line of duty mm-hmm. he, stopping uh st- uh robbery uh, at their favorite bodega yeah a korean bodega uh, which they know is being robbed because when he goes in there he asks how uh son is the owner of the shop and asks how his wife's doing He's like or where his wife is and son says oh she's home with the flu and doesn't charge them for the coffee so when nick cage leaves the bodega he just goes to his partner's like, they're being robbed. He's like, what? And he's like, son said his wife has the flu. And his partner goes, man, that bitch would work if she's dying. And then she, yeah, she, <laughs> and like, didn't charge him. So yeah, didn't charge me for the coffee. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, he is getting robbed then. So <laughs> Nick Cage goes in through the basement, comes up, takes out one of the criminals with a can of beans from about, you know, five yards. And then just, he gets shot. Isn't that fucked up? <laughs> and tackles another guy through the glass door. <laughs> I was saving that all day. Uh, that was good. Uh, yeah, and I like that, like, he tackles him through the door, and he, like, gets up, and his partner's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then Nicolas Cage notices that he gets shot in the arm, and he just, like, faints. Yeah. <laughs> he just, and and then, straight down on the guy he tackled again. And the next scene is him getting, like, you know, a medal for valor. And he donates $10,000 of their winnings to the Policeman's Widows Fund. And you can just see Rosie Perez just fuming. 
Yeah. That $10,000 of their $2 million is gone. Yeah. She is not a good person in this film. No. No, and that... I mean, that's something we could talk about. Like, the things that Nicolas Cage or Charlie Lang spent this money on. Yeah. It's like donations to the Widow's Fund. Charlie and Yvonne went down and, like, bought, uh, like, train fare just had for everybody. tokens for everyone. Yeah, and just started giving them out and, like, Which is treating what everybody. starts the divorce proceedings because when... Well, no, it's the next one. Yeah. When they go to the uh, baseball park. Yeah, they take all the kids from the neighborhood yeah, to bring play all the kids there. Baseball at, at, at uh, Yankee Stadium, yeah. whatever it is. But I fucking love that one because, I mean, that was just cool. And it was really cool what they did. So, like, the kids were able to all play down on the diamond. Nick Cage and his partner were, like, doing the pitching and everything. And uh, then they also set up this, like, photo op for the kids so they could jump on a trampoline and get a picture of them like quote unquote catching a ball as it was going over the, over wall. the wall. So it was, it was really nice. It was fun. Yeah. It was I liked it. Very sweet. And you can see the start of their relationship because at this point, because Charlie and Muriel, not Muriel, Charlie and Yvonne, Yvonne, no funny business. They're just, they clearly are attracted to each other, but neither one of them is actively pursuing it while he is married. Correct. It's not till he gets kicked out of the house that they, Stop. Mm. So, but you see the early parts of those relationships, and this is what really sold me on Nick Cage being a leading man because I'm like, eh, uh, I remember being in love at one point. Yeah. Now I'm just cold and dead inside. <laughs> and that's a great segue for uh, one scene I do want to talk about. Oh, let me hear it. Um, when Charlie comes home after being shot, like the next scene is Charlie coming home. And his house is full of construction workers and his apartment is completely torn apart. And I'm just and I'm just sitting there thinking about the time I walked into my home and I no longer had a floor that I wasn't told about when I left the house that morning. That's a hard one to come home to. Yeah, no, it's never fun to come home to. No. So and then when he's like, where's my chair? And Rosie Perez is like, I donated to Goodwill. It's like. You could have told me. <laughs> and her response is like, you know, I thought we, you know, just gave stuff away without telling each other. Yeah. It's like the one time she gets a proper it, dig in. It was a good dig. Ugh, I hated seeing her in that hard hat, though. <laughs> just walking around with that clipboard. Oh, I wanted to, like, push her down in the dirt. Not not hit her or anything. <laughs> no, she wasn't trying to kill him. Yeah. Although there are definitely times like, ooh, when he tells her about the two million dollars. Like giving that away, I'm just like, oh, these two are gonna fucking beat each other up. Like that is murder. Like people, well, people are murdered for less. I don't think Charlie Lang would have ever lifted a hand against anybody that no. wasn't clearly breaking the law. He did grab her at one point. Sure, that was her lawyer's reasoning for him being an abusive husband. The whole, the whole civil case uh, against him and Yvonne is just. That's probably the one part of the movie that I'm like, this is the least interesting aspect of this and completely bullshit. Charlie doesn't want any of the money. He's like, you can keep the lotto winnings. You know, I don't want anything. I don't want need money to be happy. But she wants the money he gave away. And the whole court case is it was her lotto ticket. Even though he bought it, the city of New York decided, you know, decided against them. Yeah. And they had to give back all the money. Which is pretty wild. That jury sucked. Yeah, seriously. Uh, who would have sided with her, honestly? 
with Rosie Perez. Yeah. Well, she has such a charming voice. Yeah. Well, you notice she was never on the stand. Oh, wait, she was. She yeah, because she talked about her dead dad's. The dream she had, which, I'm, oh, God, Charlie had the worst lawyer. I'm like, fucking no, there's no way to prove that. That is completely inadmissible, like, yeah. testimony. I don't know. There were a lot of details in this movie that I really enjoyed. Weird little things. And none of them had any impact on it. Like, I really loved Angel's tie, his lobster tie that he was wearing at the top of the movie. I loved when uh, they were robbing, uh, those guys were robbing the bodega. And like, as they were about to run out the door, one guy's like, hey, give me a carton of Virginia Slims. <laughs> You're going to knock over a bodega and take the silliest looking you know well and like lady brand cigarettes when they're okay. robbing when they're robbing that well they're men of weak constitution uh when they're robbing the bodega and charlie's coming in from the basement he knock he like walks into some bottles so the crim, the thieves upstairs like what was that what's back there it's like nothing there's no entrance back there just you know a basement it's like what was that noise like rats really big rats <laughs> and then charlie's coming up the stairs and there's a conveyor belt going up the stairs and there's just a giant fuck all rat just like chilling there just waving at him yeah and a new york rat yeah so we briefly taught you touched on this so this is based loosely on a true story cop named uh robert cunningham uh, was a regular at a diner for years uh phyllis penzo was a rate waitress there for years um and one day while he was having his lunch he asked phyllis for some lotto numbers she gave him three he came up with three more and he jokingly said you know uh, if this wins, you know, he'll tip her half the next day. And the next day they won that night. And the next day, Robert and his wife came in and gave her half the money. So loosely inspired by loosely real inspired events. By but I'm like, that's pretty cool. From a Hollywood standpoint, this is a better movie than the real events. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, that could happen in the world is. It mild. could happen to you. Hey! Oh, right. nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop rambling. That's that's the perfect spot to end that. Um, do you have a <laughs> quote for this film? Uh, yeah, I've got again. I've got a couple lines that I enjoyed. Now, can I do mine since you have a couple? In yeah, case you get my mind. Uh, this goes back to the bodega, and when Charlie goes in there to order coffee, the first thing he says to the owner's son is, "Son, how are things in the mysterious east?" <laughs> like, oh, bad. <laughs> I'm not sure which one of these I like better, but in the beginning, Charlie playing stickball with the kids and everything, and Muriel shouts down to him, like, I just ordered Chinese food, come inside. And he's like, I'll be in in a minute. And then he gets some shit from Hezu, the kid, who's just like, what are you, whipped? And Nicolas Cage just comes back with, no, I'm not whipped. I've got adult responsibilities. I do love Hezu. It was a nice interaction. Again, it's always Heizu. I think Heizu and Charlie had the best kind of interactions for me. Heizu asked him if he killed anybody today. And Charlie just comes back with, didn't even wound anybody. Been really slow. (laughs) And now we have two Nick Cage kids who don't suck. That's true. Oh, yeah. We got Heizu. My my rule is quickly. uh, Heizu and handpan. Yep. Balancing the scales. I do. I, I really did enjoy their, his relationship with just sort of the neighborhood, the kids. He's yeah. just a genuinely sweet guy. It really came across like this guy loves the neighborhood. He loves living in Queens. I mean, there's a lot of like, I guess, borough pride in 
people out in New York. I don't know. Unless you're Rosie Perez. Well, she sucked. Yeah, she sucked. But yeah, I mean, what did you think of him overall in the role? He was leading man, romance, hokey, nice guy cop. He was such a good just every man in this film. Like he's yeah, he's a cop and he's clearly in good shape, but they never really we don't get any shirtless cage in this. No, just Tucci. They also don't like, you know, they don't give him hair plugs. They're not trying to like hide the fact that he's got kind of a receding hairline. Why are you looking at the top of my head? I'm looking at your mouth for some reason. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> That's for you, Mayor. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it was he's... good. He did a great job. I think he gave me a cop that I didn't hate. <laughs> that, I, want, uh, I did want to ask you about that. No, no, I will not say fuck this cop. This this cop was all right. Damn. Fuck all cops, but uh, Nick Cage in this one movie. Yeah. The director on this hasn't directed much, but is... A character actor. Hmm. A lot of TV stuff. Uh, the one that stuck out to me was he was in an episode of Titus. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And he ends up matching up with uh, Cage again later mm-hmm. with Honeymoon in Vegas. Yep. Interesting. I think also interesting is kind of the director of photography, Caleb Deschanel, father of Zoe Deschanel and Emily Deschanel I was about to, Bones and New Girl. I was about to ask you that, and then I remembered you and I had this conversation. Yeah. So he, he worked together uh, with Cage on this and then later in National Treasure. Hmm. So we'll be coming back to the old Caleb Deschanel. I think the only other thing I wanted to say is that I had such a huge crush on Bridget Fonda when I, I was it. growing up. She's she's real cute. Well, just I was really torn with these movies as to which one I thought had the more uh, endearing female lead. Right? Like they both crushed it. Well, they were both really good. I I mean I loved both of these character these characters and the way they were portrayed by these actresses, but just both of these got me in what remains of my feels with Sean Penn's first. His first love, like that early young love, the first time you see some boobs, the first time you jump naked in a lake and then have sex by it. We've all been oh. there. You, um, you mean the time we got to see Sean Penn's nutsack in a PG movie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see it's two just a, nipples it's just and a little nutsack, a little nutsack yeah. and butt. Just a little nutsack. It's still good. It's still good. Uh, no, it was a fine nutsack. Um, it's not. But no, both these movies brought me back to different parts in my growth as a human being and just being reminded of like the sweet awkwardness of young love and how you do so much for the your first quote unquote love for no other reason than it's new and exciting and you've never felt these feelings before as in racing with the moon and kind of in uh it could happen to you because we find out that rosie perez was it was Cage's high, school high school girlfriend, girlfriend and the only person he'd ever been with until him and yvonne touch butts later I can say that I've never grown as a human, so I can't identify with your statement. <laughs> but then you I know, came out of the womb just like this. I've also That's been terrifying. It is. I've also been a slightly older person who was fairly settled in my life and met someone new and also had that kind of new and exciting change. Like I related to this. I related to Sean Penn and Nick Cage and both these movies in there. Weird romantic endeavors. Also, I do want to, you know, just say the one joke that really did get a good laugh out of me in uh, It Could Happen to You when Yvonne's talking about her ex-husband, Eddie, who wanted to, who was an actor and was talking about if they ever had a son, they should name the kid Al Pacino. Al oh. Pacino Biasi. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Tucci was so good in that role. I love 
finding the parallels, like the little things that both movies have. And mm-hmm. it keeps coming up in our things. But like sometimes this one's just like even a little detail. Both movies featured the the leading man in a roller skating scene and not knowing how to skate. It's like yeah. Nicolas Cage ends up skating into the lake at uh, Central, Park. Central Park and Sean Penn just ends up getting like i don't know skate thrown uh, uh crack the whip you look that a small up? town no i lived in a small town for with uh for a while and all we had was a roller rink nice so yeah they cracked that whip and he got launched right out the door yeah but he handled it very well i enjoyed that uh both both got their penises touched because of this endearing uh, act later oh yeah specifically because they're not good at skating yeah. i remember that line it's like i'm only doing this because you can't handle roller skates you know i'm just gonna start trying out things i see in nick cage movies on future dates do it i highly recommend it start with ghost rider <laughs> light myself on fire yeah <laughs> um, and then wiggle your bony bones <laughs> <laughs> okay with, uh, with that um i i mean i know what i think should go forward i'm actually really curious what you guys think should advance because i had a hard time picking on this one unlike fucking last week okay so i'm gonna say i think it should be it could happen to you yeah it's it's a nick cage film yeah that's the thing that was really hanging me up on it too it's like i actually prefer racing with the moon i just enjoyed it more but it's a Sean Penn movie yeah. with a supporting Nicolas Cage. It Could Happen to You is a good movie. Yeah. I enjoyed watching it, but I mean, we're finding a, the best Nicolas Cage movie and that's a Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah. So, like Nick Cage is really good in Raising the Moon. And I highly recommend anybody watching Raising with the Moon. Totally. Like I said, this is, I think, the first time we have a head to head of two really enjoyable films. Yeah. And I'm. we didn't really talk about it, but like the the heaviness of the subject of racing with the moon is so like, I don't know. It felt like I was not prepared for it to be a movie that the central conflict revolved around getting an abortion. We're already talking about two people who are getting ready to go to war and they, the movie gets heavy. Yeah. And you know, but also their personal lives and Nicholas Cage's specific cavalier attitude of going off to war has consequences mm-hmm. and it's handled very well. Yeah. I think no matter what, I mean, we're going to push It Could Happen to You forward, but people should watch Racing with the Moon. Agreed. It's a good movie. And I think I could watch It Could Happen to You more often just because it is popcorn fluff a lot of the time. Yeah, it's super light. It's easy to watch. And it's so charming. It is. All right. So speaking of two um, very good banger movies to watch next time, we have World Trade Center Mm -hmm. and The Frozen Ground. That'll be our funniest comedy podcast yet Definitely. i can't wait i'm gonna crush so many beers before this <laughs> oh boy it's gonna be a good one yeah thanks. so you heard it here folks this is cage match rate us on whatever you listen to podcasts on and subscribe yeah don't we, forget to drop some comments down there in the yeah in, yeah there's only the one down below there's only we need more in the w- down below <laughs> yeah no i i could hear it don't gargle a sparkle button. <laughs> Wait, how'd it feel? Yeah, like that. <laughs> you dumb fuck. I feel like I need this in my life as well. Die. Alright, are we all gonna do it? <laughs> no. Yeah. Don't do it. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, yeah, you just have a weak throat. No, it got in my nose when you made me laugh. <laughs> well, that's a trick. You guys never make me laugh. Okay. <laughs>